Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. It's a story that repudiates those who say that Christians must compromise their beliefs in order to remain relevant. The opposite is actually the case. Biblical orthodoxy is winning converts while churches that have lost their biblical moorings actually languish. But Colson is saying, the more we stick to the truth, the more lives are truly and completely being changed. As we pull away from the truth in order to appease the masses, we may have a wide church, folks, but we do not have a deep church at all. History has consistently proven that churches that shy away from godly doctrine will ultimately fail, whereas churches that get Jesus and his message right flourish. Today, Pastor David reminds you just how important it is to know the Bible and to implement its teachings unapologetically. You must take this to heart in the way that you live your life, and your church must also. Don't take part in a congregation that sugarcoats God's Word. Be sure they know it, preach it, and encourage all to live by it. Here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 9 as he begins his message, Trusting His Sovereign Hand. Well, we are in the book of Acts, and our journey through the book of Acts has been rather slow as we've taken, hopefully, uh, time enough to be able to sufficiently cover the text of the book of Acts, but also the fact that, yes, I've been out of the pulpit, and we've had holidays and all kinds of things going on during this time, uh, not only Thanksgiving, uh, but the Christmas time. But again, uh, we are back in it, and if you remember, if you've been with us in our study in the book of Acts. It's Luke here in the book of Acts that introduces us to a Hellenistic Pharisee, a fellow by the name of Saul of Tarsus, back in chapter 8. Remember that happened, uh, he was introduced to us right after the stoning of Stephen by these other Pharisees at that point in time. From there, Luke goes on to show us that this fellow Saul of Tarsus becomes the chief persecutor of the church. And then in chapter 9, we read of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus as well as almost immediately this beginning of ministry as he, while he is in Damascus, he begins sharing his newfound faith, his trust in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, or Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah of Israel and sharing that with the Jews there in Damascus. And that doesn't work out real well for him. As a matter of fact, because of his boldness, uh, he ends up being hustled out of Damascus in the middle of a night in a basket over the wall because of the threats against his life. And then he's rushed out of Jerusalem in the same way when, again, these same Hellenistic Pharisees that he used to hang out with, he used to be a 
part of, the word says that they attempted to kill him. In Acts chapter 9, verse 30, we actually read that when the brethren, the other believers, found out about these attempts on his life, they brought Saul of Tarsus, brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So that's kind of the end of Saul for a little bit in the book of Acts. At this point in time, Luke leaves the life, the ministry of Saul, uh, soon to become Paul, the apostle. He brings us now back into the life and the ministry of the apostle Peter. Now we actually have to go back again to chapter 8 for the last time that we heard anything about the apostle Peter. That was when Peter and John had gone down to Samaria after the church in Jerusalem had heard that many of the Samaritans were being saved, they were being healed, they were being delivered. It's in chapter 8, verse 25, where Luke tells us that Peter and John went down in verse 25, in essence, testifying and preaching the word of the Lord, and then they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And then Luke finishes up chapter 8 by spending some time with that continued ministry of Philip. And if you remember, Philip was one of the seven that were chosen to assist in the administration of the resources of the church, not only for the widows, but I believe also in other areas of assisting with the help with the church, with the needs of those during that time. So we, we speak about Philip in chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, and then Philip moves on up the coastline to Caesarea. We don't hear anything about him until a little bit later in Acts. Once again, uh, chapter 9, uh, 1 through 30, that's the, the conversion of Saul. But here Luke once again moves the scene. He moves the focus. He now moves to more on the life and the ministry of the apostle Peter. And from what we saw thus far in the earlier chapters of Acts, remember it was Peter that on the day of Pentecost went out and proclaimed that message before the thousands that were there in Jerusalem at Pentecost. 3,000 came to a saving knowledge of Christ. The Lord continued to add daily to the church during that time. We see then in chapter 8 as we move on, uh, then picking back up again in chapter 9, beginning in verse 32, we see Peter's life. It has this growing progression with the Spirit of God moving him from not only sharing the gospel to the Jews there in Jerusalem, then to the Samaritans, then eventually ministering to Gentiles in Caesarea to a particular centurion by the name of Cornelius. Now that's, we'll cover that once we get into chapter 10. Uh, not only Cornelius, but his whole household. The conversion though of Cornelius, I want to throw this in here this morning, the conversion of Cornelius and his household is really going to set into motion the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles as a people group. But not so much by the apostle Peter, it's actually by Saul of Tarsus as he becomes Paul the apostle. But before we get there, okay, the, the Lord has a couple of other areas of ministry uh, in reference to Peter, and that's where we're going to look as we finish up chapter 9 of Acts. So if you've got your Bible with you, you ought to be in the book of Acts. We are now in chapter 9, and hopefully now that everybody is back on track or you're up to date, or if you haven't been with us, this is where we're at now. That's a little bit of background to help you get set in where we're at. We are going to begin this morning in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 31. Look at this with me, if you would. 
Luke writes to us in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now, don't forget, though they, again, they had peace and were edified, don't forget that there was still a measure of persecution that was going on around the church. Just because Saul of Tarsus, that chief persecutor, was no longer persecuting him, doesn't mean that the other Pharisees and the others that would come against them weren't still there and still giving the church a hard time. The attacks continued on the church during this time. And what we actually find, that even in the midst of the persecution, the church is growing. It's not just growing, it says, Luke tells us here, it's multiplying. There's a world of difference between adding to and multiplying. And to help you get that understanding, you just think about your paycheck. If your boss came to you and said, hey, we would like to add to your paycheck, you'd say, hey, that's great. But what if he came up and said, hey, we'd like to multiply your paycheck? How many wouldn't go for that, amen? But the church was being multiplied even in the midst of this persecution. But that's not true just in the first century. Beloved, you need to understand That's going on even today. The church is being persecuted today, something that the Western church, you and I in the United States, know absolutely nothing about. Oh, there's some pushbacks. There's some issues that are going on with the church and with the ability to be able to proclaim Christianity, but it's nothing like persecution that's going on in other parts of the world. Places, actually, where we see the the deepest commitment to Christ And the fastest, solid growth of the church is actually in places where it's difficult to take a true, biblically orthodox stand to persecution. In the midst of that persecution. Oh, some say, oh, but we, we have these churches, they're growing, this church is growing. Yeah, did you know that most of the church growth in the United States is actually lateral, church to church? They're, they're moving from this church going here, and this church is growing, not so much by multitude of conversions as much as it is other people coming and just switching churches. Not to say that there's not conversions. There are conversions. Many are still coming to Christ. But understand, there is a world of difference in what's going on in Western Christianity than what's going on in the rest of the world. As a matter of fact, in an article by Charles Colson, he reminds us that what we see and know as Western Christianity is only a small percentage of what God is doing in his kingdom's work today. And in many ways, the work that God is doing in other parts of the world doesn't even resemble Western Christianity. We can take believers from the other parts of the world and bring them in to Western Christianity, they wouldn't even recognize it. It says, that's nothing like what we are over there. There's a world of difference. Colson quotes an article by Penn State professor Philip Jenkins. Uh, Jenkins writes uh, about the explosive growth of Christianity outside of the West in an article titled The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity. He writes that, for instance, in 1900, there were approximately 10 million Christians in Africa. By 2000, there were 360 million Christians in Africa. 
and conservative estimates believe that by 2025, that number will rise up to 630 plus million Christians in Africa. And you have to understand what's going on in Africa today. There is great persecution against Christians. I mean, people being murdered, people being beaten, wives and children abused in the worst way. Why? Because they proclaim Christ and refuse to bow down to Islam. He continues on in his article saying that those same estimates put the number of Christians in Latin America by 2025 at 640 million and in Asia at 460 million. And then Colson goes on to remind us that the story of Christianity's explosive growth is one of the great untold stories of our time, a story that North American Christians need to hear. It's a story that repudiates those who say that Christians must compromise their beliefs in order to remain relevant. The opposite is actually the case. Biblical orthodoxy is winning converts while churches that have lost their biblical moorings actually languish. But Colson is saying, the more we stick to the truth, the more lives are truly and completely being changed. As we pull away from the truth in order to appease the masses, we may have a wide church, folks, but we do not have a deep church at all. Colson isn't the only one that's telling us these truths. What we find in the reports of missionaries the world over is where there seems to be persecution and where that persecution seems to be the worst, the church continues to grow. Reports from Indonesia where Islamic terrorists physically come against the church and her leadership. We see the growth of the church. In Russia, which was open for a short season, remember, they used to have us, they would even ask folks to come into the schools in Russia and teach the Bible for a season that was there not too long ago, but that window has been shut. And yet the church is still growing, yes, even in Russia. And yes, even in China, where anything other than the sanctioned state church faces severe persecution, uh, arrest, imprisonment. These and others, such as Middle Eastern countries, where conversion to Christianity is punishable by death to both the convert as well as the one responsible for the conversion, and yet the church grows. And beloved, it's not a comfortable church. It's not a church that is at ease with physical comfort. It is a church that because of their knowledge of the truth of God, they're willing to put their very lives on the line to follow him. As a matter of fact, In 2017, one missionary wrote in his blog that China, with a population of 1.37 billion people and growing, will one day, he believes, become the cradle of Christianity. For his word, God's word, is growing there exponentially. The growth of Christianity in Russia may be slower than China, but it is still growing very fast. And no matter how crazy, how scary the world becomes, hold on to your faith. For his word, God's word, will not fail. Not even Satan at his best can change that. Hold on to the word of God. Grow in the word of God. Not simply the experiences, 
but the truth of God's word. According to a 2010 report by Operation World, a prayer guide published by InterVarsity Press, they state that in Iran, the evangelical population is growing annually in Iran at 19.6% a year. In Afghanistan, unfathomable, but yet the rate of the growth of Christianity is 16.7% a year. In a place where we thought, man, there's no way that the gospel could even penetrate the strength of Islam in those countries. And yet the Spirit of God is able to penetrate every barrier that man puts up. Guys, I'm sharing this information with you this morning to remind you, yes, to pray for the persecuted church, but also to understand that, guess what? The persecuted church is praying for you and I. They're praying for you and I that once again, the fire of the Holy Spirit would ignite the Western church and cause us to come alive in these last days. But understand, even in the midst of all of their persecution, or particularly in the midst of all of their persecution, God is intimately aware of their situation and none of their persecution escapes his eye. But even as Jesus said on the Sermon of the Mount, great is their reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. Let's get back to Acts 9. As the persecution continued within the church, we find that the church walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. When it says the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that does not mean that the Holy Spirit gave all of them easy chairs to sit back in, kick their feet up, and they were very comfortable. That's not what it means. What it means is that in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the trials, the reality and the truth and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit gave them comfort even in their trials. Look down at verse 32 as we continue. In verse 32, now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And then he, Aeneas, arose immediately. And so all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Apparently, the Holy Spirit had moved in, in Peter's heart in life while he was in Jerusalem to go out and begin ministering or visiting the churches throughout Judea. Now, these churches had, had sprung up due to the spread of the gospel by a number of people, not necessarily by the apostles, but others that, again, came to a saving knowledge of Christ. Many of those that remain absolutely nameless within our Bibles, but you know what? Those names are well known within the kingdom of God. Those that came out of their comfort zone to help spread the gospel and begin churches throughout that whole region. And as Peter traveled west out of Jerusalem, traveling along the road that went down from Jerusalem through Emmaus and then on down toward that coastal city of Joppa. Joppa is actually very close right now to the modern day uh, city of Tel Aviv. 
he came to the town of Lydda. Now, uh, it, it was known as Lod, L-O-D, in the Old Testament. And there's not much else that we know about Lydda other than the fact that it laid about 11 miles east from the center of Joppa. Also, we know today uh, it, it's located in what's called the Sharon Plain, and right on the north side of where Lida was and even is today uh, is actually the Ben Guron International Airport that you fly into as you come into Israel. That's the area. Now, Peter's stop there appears to have been short-lived, and it seems to be just for one purpose. He sees a man there in the town by the name of Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. As he saw Aeneas, the Holy Spirit moved upon Peter to speak into that man's life a word of healing. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And then we see this amazing thing. We see Aeneas rising up immediately. If there's but one lesson that we want to learn in this portion of the text, church, is that whenever the Lord Jesus is active in your life, we need to be responsive. We need to be immediately responsive. Can you imagine if Aeneas's word to Peter, as Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you, rise up, take your bed. Aeneas says, hey, thanks for the healing, but I think I'm going to lay in bed for a little while longer. Hey, thanks for the healing, but I'm not going to go anywhere right now. Let me, let me ponder the situation. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next month. After all, people are giving me you know, funds right here as I'm laying here. Let me just stay here for, that's absolutely asinine. It's foolish. Totally ridiculous response. Why would he do that? And yet, at the very same time, I believe that today, many within the church are doing the very same thing. Perhaps it's through the hearing of the word preached or the reading of the word of God and the Holy Spirit moves in your life. He, he, he draws you to a greater commitment to him. And yet we remain in the same shallowness of our faith. We don't take the effort to move further, even as the spirit is drawing us to go deeper in him. Perhaps the testimony of someone that, that, that's, that's challenged your heart, challenged you to grow deeper in the Lord, speak a particular thing with you, and yet we continue to stay with nothing changing in our lives. Perhaps situations in your life have come up to, to really get your attention. Maybe it's an abundance of blessings. God's just blessed you in an amazing way. It's just absolutely fun. Or on the other end of the scale, maybe it's complete devastation and an abundance of sorrow that's come into your life right now. And yet you haven't taken the time to sit quietly and listen for that still small voice of the Lord and move in obedience to it. Oh, Lord, thank you for these blessings. And then we just go out and we squander whatever it is. Have you thought to say, Lord, you have blessed me this way. How can I use this blessing to glorify your name? Maybe a great sorrow has come into your life. Maybe through a sickness or a financial devastation or a broken relationship. And rather than, again, stopping and really seeing, Lord, what are you speaking into my heart? We, we fight against it. We rage against it. Rather than saying, Lord, in your sovereign hand, I know that you know what I'm going through. And so, Lord, teach me in the midst of this. 
how I can be a better servant to you. In the midst of my sorrow, open up my heart, my mind, my spirit to truly hear from you. Thanks for joining Pastor David today as we study the book of Acts on the open word. Though our program has come to an end today, your time in God's word can continue. It could be beneficial to go back and study today's passage in Acts on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you'll find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. For directions and service times, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Now let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community and around the nation with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray too for our listeners, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially needs prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts would be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Hey, thanks for praying, and thank you for being a loyal listener to The Open Word.